0: Welcome to How Not to DM, I'm your host Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. One quick announcement before we get started. I have a few friends in the podcasting world, like Bombarded, who donate a percentage of their ad and patron money to good local causes, so I've decided to follow suit. As of January 2022, 10% of the money I bring in from ads and supporters like you will be donated to Encircle, a nonprofit organization with the mission to bring the family and community together to enable LGBTQ youth to thrive. Check out the episode notes or go to encircletogether.org for more information. Now, on to our guest intro. Robert Hartley is the DM for Viva La Dirt League's NPC D&D game. He makes a living streaming, running games, and writing skits for VDL. Robert tells us about how he got into D&D, gives his best advice on reining in chaotic tables, and tells about how much freedom you should give to players versus when to introduce limits. Enjoy!
1: I'm Robert Hartley, uh, or Robert Hartley GM. I'm a dungeon master full time. Uh, I'm also a Twitch streamer. I, I stream Dungeons and Dragons related content. How did I get into it? Was through hip hop, like you know, like everybody who gets into nerdy D&D it's through hip hop, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I is it
0: the uh, is it the uh, tribe called Quest uh, song where? Um... Oh, what is his name? I'm gonna sound really stupid if I don't know. Anyway, they they mentioned Dungeons and Dragons.
1: That that must be it, right? Is that right? No, it isn't actually. No. So, no. so there actually isn't a, a legitimate <laughs> hip hop Dungeons and Dragons connection. Now, no, I've, uh, I've there is, yeah. Um, um, anyway. No, I, I've told the story before, but it's a simple one. I um I was doing a hip hop class, and it was sort of like a, a community feel to it. Uh, we we kind of got to know one another. Everybody there. It was a small sort of maybe like a, a dozen people or so. After every class, we would sort of sit around and chat and share some food. And during that chat, I I got to know one of the the other guys uh, who was an out of work actor as well, same as me. And he was also a dungeon master. I sort of was asking him what he does. And he says, Oh, I do Dungeons and Dragons. And this was like five, maybe six years ago. And so fifth edition was really new. And there wasn't this huge resurgence that we've seen over the last six years of people playing. It was still quite, there was a bit of stigma involved. And so he had this expression of sort of like, being shy about it and not, not really wanted to tell us that he does Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, but, as, but as soon as I was like, oh, that sounds cool, uh, I didn't know anything about it. Cut to a couple months later, though, um, and I was watching some Will Wheaton tabletop, and he was playing some, I think it was Drag- uh, Dragon Age, it was a TTRPG, and I was watching it going, oh, I think this might be something like what Dungeons and Dragons is. Uh, I don't really know much about it, but it kind of looks fun, actually. So I got in touch with this fella from uh, from a few months before and said, like, hey, would you run a game for me so I could see what it's like? Um, And probably best decision I ever did, (laughs) because I I kind of like became this Dungeons and Dragons obsessed nut from that point onwards. As soon as I had that first game with him, it was I just I just needed it. I needed it in every part of my life. And he was too busy to actually run uh, the game again for me. So I only ever played the one shot with that guy. I later found a board game cafe though, and and found Dungeons and Dragons through that, uh, and yeah, I've, I've been playing ever since, about five 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 and a half years or so now. Does he
0: know the depth at which you have gotten into the hobby now? <laughs> he, you know, does it kind he of his does claim now. To fame? Yeah, he does yeah. now.
1: Oh, th- they do. Sorry, I should I should say because oh, recently I looked them up because I was telling this story, and I said, oh, I wonder what he's what he's doing these days, and I looked him up and found they're not really doing um well, I don't know if they're doing D&D, but they're not really doing acting so much anymore. Mm. But I contacted them anyway and found out that they've um, they've changed their pronouns and things. So I've, I've got to really try and retcon my stories whenever I'm telling it now. But they were super excited to hear that, uh, I'm <laughs> that they managed to uh, get me hooked on this thing that has now become my entire career.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What an introduction. Yeah. So how did you start to get into running games for other people you mentioned you started playing at this cafe was it kind of all right immediately I'm going to or did you start as a player and then kind of um,
1: eased your way into it I did start as a player because um I didn't know much about the game uh, well I can't really say that because as soon as I'd gotten hooked on it after that first one I found a pdf of the player's handbook and read it cover to cover <laughs> um, so I did know quite a bit about the game but I didn't know anything about running the game Uh, luckily a friend that i'd met through the board game cafe by this point mentioned wanting to run it he ran a couple of sessions where i was playing a wizard and then after about i don't know maybe 10 episodes at most he he was just like i kind of i'm not feeling it i'm kind of i need a break from it do you want to take over you seem really 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 keen on D &D." (laughs) (laughs) and i was like yes i'll take over sure thing so i immediately bought the uh dmg and the and the monster manual and just just jumped into it and that was five years ago i've been pretty much a forever dm ever since then do you remember the first game that you ran and and kind oh, of how yeah. it went yeah yeah so i well over prepared for it <laughs> uh, which i'll get into later but i had them give all make their characters and give me their backstories because i've always even from the very first game i've always found it almost impossible to just come up with a story from nothing. I have to have some sort of character story. And then from that, it's like a muse. It sort of triggers ideas of like, oh, they mentioned this person in their backstory. So maybe that guy can be the BBEG. uh, And then this can happen and this can happen. And I start to make connections. So because they gave me their their stories, I weaved the four backstories together and came up with this idea of like, in the first session, they're all going to meet at at a lumberyard the thief of the party that had given me kind of this Oliver Twist backstory. He had just done the job. He'd pickpocketed or broken, breaking and entering or something. And he had to leave town. He had to get out. And so he like caught, he sort of hitchhiked onto the next cat that happened to be going to this lumber One of the other players was another character that was happened to be on that cat at the same time. The big fightery type that was really about um, all, all about strength and muscles and fighting. He had been hired as a, as a guard to protect the lumber yard. And uh, one of the other ones who was sort of like an, out of the place orc, I'd warned her. I was like, "Oh, in my world, orcs aren't really—they aren't really accepted in in societies and stuff. Is that—is that cool?" And she was like, "Yeah, I, li- I like it. We can explore that um, as we're playing." And so mm. she had kind of—I'd given her this backstory of like, "Oh, you tried to settle down in this nearby town, and the only work you can find uh, is off in the outskirts at this lumberyard." So I'd, for one reason or another, they were all in this lumberyard uh, doing their thing, and then kobolds attacked. Uh, and then they had to follow the kobolds and kill them. And in doing so, they finally found the fifth member of the party who was a wood elf druid with kind of like an amnesiac raised by wolves backstory. And they stumbled across him out in the woods. And then between the five of them, they all went off to follow these kobolds into the cave. And and that's where I'd created a dungeon, as it were, a cave system of kobolds. A lot of fun. It was very different to the style of game that I would run now, <laughs> just because yeah. I'd just, so just, just, you know, lack of experience. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, I look at my first
0: game the same way. I've learned a lot since then, but I'm sure it was still pretty fun. They're still playing in that same
1: campaign to this day. Oh, there you so, go. So, yeah. so it must be fun. <laughs> it must be. Yeah, are you still running the games for them? Yeah, it's yeah, the same characters. They've, uh, we had to take a couple years off playing like once every few months while I was studying. Uh, mm-hmm. I went back to university. So it means that they've been playing that campaign for about five years and they've gotten to level 10. Um, Okay, so this is
0: really the kind of the focal point or the focus of the podcast, which is talking about mistakes that you've made. Uh, I Mm -hmm. love humanizing DMs that that a lot of people look up to. And I'm not saying I want to knock you down a few pegs, but I'm saying I think everyone can learn a lot from
1: other people's mistakes. Yeah, it's very important to recognize that uh, even the best DMs in the world are fallible fallible humans exactly. that make just as much mistake, just as many mistakes. Exactly. And so I'd love to
0: know what you feel like are some of the worst mistakes you've made could be from the beginning and could have been from the last session you run, you know? So what, yeah, what yeah, are some of course. them and what do you feel like other people can learn from these mistakes you've made?
1: I will give you some uh, kind of that span the gamut. Um, the first mistake that I made when I was starting out was... When they finally finished this cobalt dungeon, and they were going to leave the um, lumberyard and go back to their main town, where the Oliver Twisty kind of uh, warlock was from, I wanted that hometown to be to feel like a real living place. And so I fleshed out, no exaggeration, fifty different NPCs, and every one of them was in an Excel spreadsheet table, with not not just a name and a race and or whatever. I'd given them an age. I'd given them likes and dislikes and something that they feared. I'd given them just an exorbitant amount of detail on their hair color and eye color and weight. And and then, of course, they meet somebody immediately that I hadn't prepared because he's like, I want to go get a tattoo. And I was like, I didn't prepare a tattooist, but I've heard that you should. <laughs> yes, and. so, so here's, <laughs> The one NPC you so didn't have. <laughs> yep, so, here's, so here's a tattooist that I didn't prepare. And I don't know if they met maybe three of the 50 NPCs 50 that I created. And even of the three that they met, it wasn't important. Like it was so boring for me to stand there and go and read out from an Excel spreadsheet. He is uh, five foot eleven and a half, and he's got uh, greenish blue eyes and a beard. It's like, what is it? What does it matter? <laughs> like, who, just, who cares? They're not going to remember him. He's not. Mm-hmm. What does? What does he like and dislike and fear? So the mistake I was making there is that I'd I'd been listening to the GM tips with uh, Matt Mercer and then later with um, Satine Phoenix, and in one of them. They'd mention like, give your NPCs these likes and fears and dislikes, because it'll help sort of make them three-dimensional and it'll help spark some uh, role play. If you've already decided that this this uh, NPC is afraid of spiders or something, and then the druid turns into a spider or mentions spiders or has a pet spider or the, the wizard's familiar as a spider or whatever, you've got something that you go, oh, that's actually a, a three-dimensional realistic kind of aspect that... I, a way to tell them likewise if you if you've decided that their bond the emotional bond of this npc is their family and then the players ask can i roll an intimidation check and they roll well then you've got something to describe it can be like oh you you notice that he's got a picture of his family um and so you threaten his family instead." so so i'd taken that bit of advice from them and then completely misunderstood it and said like apply it to every npc before they even meet them <laughs> come up with a baker and a candlestick maker and a shoemaker for the village, just on the happenstance of they might be going to meet a, a shoemaker, and uh, and I'd say that the biggest thing I learned from that and doing doing that is just it's more about the importance of learning how to do that on the fly. Have your NPCs three dimensional because they have likes and dislikes and fears, but only create the NPCs that you either a know for a fact they are going to meet or b they're actually talking to.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Wait until they come to the village and say oh, I want to go find a blacksmith and then have some sort of an NPC table maybe that you can, because if you're not good at coming up with it on the fly, there are tools you can use. You can have a table that's like roll a D20 for their uh, their age and a, and a D10 for their gender or whatever. And you can come up with the NPC and then flesh them out with like one thing from the table of fears and one thing from the table of dislikes and be like, oh, this, this guy doesn't like brash people. And that, that makes him feel like different from the other NPCs that they've met because when they walk in with their brash attitude, He's instantly off put and they don't really know why, so yeah I, I wouldn't do that again, so that was a that was a mistake from early days midday's mistake was much later on the camp- in a different campaign. I had my party had just killed a bunch of goblins in a in a mountain, killed the goblin king, and then they were looting his lair, and I thought I don't want to unbalance my whole game by giving them an entire treasure hoard of loot. So I put together a table of the loot uh, and I'd said like, oh, roll a dice to on your investigation. And then that will determine a number that you get. And then from the number, I will roll that many times on the table to see which loot you get. And then they would find it. I'd describe it to them and then they'd go, okay, can I keep looting? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, I guess roll again and another one. And and it just slowed the whole thing down. And I was like, at the end of it, I could just tell. They were bored out of their mind. Why am I rolling to see which loot they get? Just either... Give them all the loot because there's no time constraint to them and, and they can essentially just take 20. They can just roll until they get in that 20 and then, oh, you find it all. Or if you don't want them to have that much loot, give them some kind of time constraint. As soon as the Goblin King's dying with his last breath, he says, you'll never escape my lair. And then he casts one last spell, which starts to bring the place down and it's shaking. And, and you know, you can grab three things before you go. Now you can roll on the table, grab those three things and you're out. Or, you know, there's the Goblin King dying, the scent of his blood has attracted a purple worm. And you, you guys can tell you've got roll 1d4 rounds. Oh, you've got three rounds before the purple worm gets here. You've got, you can grab five things. Go. Have some sort of constraint for it. Don't just make unnecessary constraints through tables because it will slow the whole thing down. Mm, great advice. There's one more thing that's from more recently, just to sort of drive home the idea that even these days I'm still fallible, is that just in my most recent home game, I had a fight with my level 10 characters and some drow and some spiders and through lack of preparation i hadn't really considered what the drow and the spiders were able to do and so when it came down to the fight i discovered oh the 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 drow can stab with a, a short sword and it does poison damage and piercing and then the spiders go and they do a bite attack with poison damage and piercing and then it's their turn and then it's back to the drow who stab with a short sword and do poison damage and piercing and it just turned into this slogfest of a fight where nothing interesting was happening. And that's partly to do with how boring the stat blocks are in in 5th edition D&D. But also just because I hadn't really prepared enough and, and hadn't thought about other fun things that these characters could do in a combat that makes it for a little more dynamic fight.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that you do in your streams i've noticed is you spend some streams spicing up stat blocks which i think is really important and it's something i learned really quickly too after looking through i'm like yeah this is fine but what if i want to add an ability where they stomp and stalactites fall from the ceiling or what if i want to add a couple of damage resistances and and i figured out hey i can do that you know you can just add (laughs) stuff to stat blocks whenever you want and it makes it even better for your players who tend to know monsters really well you know keep yes, them guessing yeah. as well
1: so there's nothing wrong with adding things to a, a stat block especially if you feel confident in your own ability to adjust on the fly when you when you mm. do give that character a alleged reaction and go oops that in the middle of the fight you go oh this is quite a lot actually uh, i bet i better <laughs> subtract this much from them or i better do this to balance it or whatever yes just it does make the fight a little more dynamic and just be aware that you might have to fiddle with things if you're inexperienced homebrewing definitely Okay, on the flip
0: side of that question, what are some of the best moments from your games? You know, the epic <laughs> ones that you all still talk about yeah. to this day that oh, yeah. really embody
1: the magic of tabletops. So I, um, I've i talked about a lot already in various different forms, so I'll, um, I'll try and dig down one that I haven't spoken about before. Um, mm. There was a moment when... Uh, I'll try and give a little context without boring everybody. Rigid, <laughs> it's, it's like dreams. The person telling the story has a lot, of, <laughs> has a lot of interest in it, and then the people who weren't there are like, well, okay. Um, so, so I'll give you the important context. The party were working against an underground thieves' guild, kind of like the Zentrum, Uh shady bad guys. They turned up to a barn where they'd been ordered to come by this Zenthrum. They'd said, "Hey, we need to talk this out once and for all." And when they walked in, there was the leader of the Zenthrum, this this uh, elderly woman. And she had her cronies off to each side, each with a hostage on the ground with a a sword to their neck tied up. And so she had four hostages on site and she was using them as collateral to uh, talk this thing out. And she said, if you don't do this, we're going to kill these people. If you do do this, we'll do this. Blah, blah, blah. And none of the terms were to the party's favor. (laughs) Then the blue dragonborn Carver, she steps forward and says, even though she's a blue dragonborn, she's like her whole character is about going against type and saying like just because she's blue, she's not evil, and she's always constantly working against the um, inherent racism that she's encountered within the society of of like, hey, I'm not evil just because I'm blue. She goes, so you're saying that if I'm not in the picture anymore, you'll let all these people go? And the bad guy goes, uh, yes, I guess I am saying that. And without hesitation, she says, I stab myself in the gut. And <laughs> and, and I was like, Oh, yeah, uh, you, you're killing yourself? And she goes, Yep. And 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 she's she she like whips out her her long sword and goes to Harry uh Sapuku herself. And for reasons that she didn't understand at this point, um, the bad guy actually didn't want her dead. She actually wanted her alive for reasons. And so she quickly panics and, and tells one of the mooks to drop one of the hostages and go and grab her before she can kill herself, and that kicks off the fight but the fight is now suddenly the opposite way around to how I imagined it was kicking off. I was thinking that the uh, sorcerer was going to go in there and use some subtle spell to like kick off a fight and, and like maybe he goes invisible and then tries to save one of the hostages, a couple of them get killed, whatever. I thought they were going to yeah. be fighting in a regular fight, but instead it's an opposite way around fight where, where the, the good guys are trying to kill themselves and the bad guys are trying <laughs> to stop them <laughs> killing them. <laughs> and it was the most epic sort of uh, situation. A couple of the hostages did get hurt in the fight, but because the blue dragonborn is actually a paladin, she was able to uh, lay on hands before they died and all sorts of things. So they, they, did, they actually managed to get through the entire thing without losing a single hostage or themselves. (laughs) It's quite a memorable moment. And I really, uh, really enjoyed it. So one thing I took away from that is that it does not matter how smart your bad guys are. You are human, and therefore not omniscient. And therefore your bad guys cannot possibly be omniscient either. All of their uh, plans, it doesn't matter how long you've been planning for them, there's going to be something that you haven't thought of. And they're going to throw something in the works and you're going to have to be ready to improvise. Yep. And it's one of the reasons I really enjoy Beholders. I, I haven't actually got a chance to use them very often, but in the lore of the Beholders, they say they spend every waking moment of every day thinking about their own contingency plans and their own escape plans. And they are the epitome of paranoia. And they're always thinking about ways that they could possibly be outdone. And I'm like, I'm not sure how to use that because I'm not. I'm not a beholder. <laughs> I don't think about all those ways to. And so I'm really interested in in that law of being like, how can a dungeon master who isn't an omniscient beholder or a, or a god or a, an ancient gold dragon or something, how can they pretend like they are? How can you prepare for a thing for when you're playing a character that is almost omniscient when you're not?
0: It's a very good question. I suppose my first thought would be you know everything you know about the players so just think of everything that they like all of their magic items and stuff and think of ways to counter it and then like the beholder always has a way out but you know, you you cannot plan for everything. You know, you can't no, plan you for can't. a whole and, monster to succeed at the beginning of the fight. <laughs> exactly and then, right.
1: Or Charm you know, Monster, which get... happened at another point. Uh, yeah, I, I had, yeah. like, my big bad evil guy who was way too powerful for them to hurt. Um, he had his, like, monolog moment at one point and he, and he, like, meets the party in order to, like, set up who this bad guy's going to be and he's about to leave. And just as he's about to leave, the wallet goes, I, I cast Charm Monster on him and he fails his save. And so he turns around and he goes... Uh so before you go mate um I just wanted to know what's your what, what's your sort of evil plan why are you doing this and then he gets it to turn around and just monologue to them about everything that he's doing and why <laughs> because he's now under the effect of a charm monster and thinks of them as allies <laughs> and, and, and I was like well I guess they know a lot more at this stage of the game than I expected them to ah players
0: <laughs> yeah every good plan undone uh all right
1: who do you feel
0: like are some of your greatest influences on your style of running games and they could be very personal, you know, people that you uh, have played with personally, or they could be um, more well-known mm. examples of people who are on streams and podcasts and that sort of thing.
1: So starting out, my biggest influence was Matt Mercer, I, I devoured Critical Role when I was getting into D&D. Um, I loved his style, still do. I love his style of uh, descriptive, um, immersive storytelling that feel very... Um, uh, redundant saying it, obviously, because everybody knows. But then I also watched a lot of Dimension Twenty, and I love Brennan Lee Mulligan for such a different style. He's so much, so yeah. much more uh, humorous and and a little more slapstick. And then Griffin McElroy I listened to a lot of the Adventure Zone. And then uh, I haven't seen a lot of Satine actually um, DMing, but I have heard a lot of her tips, and I've seen her a couple times on Twitch, um, and uh, she's somewhat of a friend of mine. Um, and so Satine Phoenix has also been quite a um, an influence. Uh, and then more recently, some of the Twitch streamers and YouTube streamers, um, uh, Matthew Perkins, uh, Dritter GM and Dead Aussie Gamer, uh, are all fantastic streamers that are all incredible storytellers and have some great, great advice on DMing and things as well.
0: This episode of how not to DM is brought to you by Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. And an awesome publication from Games. Explore a city of criminals, find the lost scholar, and discover the forgotten world hidden at the center of Aragarth. Journey to the Center of Aragarth is a DD 5e campaign for high level parties looking to test their abilities live on Kickstarter February until the 28th. So, level up your characters and don't miss your chance to join the adventure. Next up, a Kickstarter from Icarus Games. Make learning 5th edition easier than ever with the class cheat sheets from Icarus Games now on Kickstarter. Keep track of all of your class abilities with simple language, easy-to-reference icons, and page references for the full rules. And never forget your options in combat thanks to a handy quick reference guide for actions in combat. Kickstarter is live until March 2nd. Sign up at icarus-games.co.uk slash kickstarter. And lastly, Homebrew Havoc. This year, the most creative minds from the world of tabletop role-playing have joined together to create an actual play fantasy adventure that is not to be missed. Explore a truly collaborative world come to life, only able to exist thanks to the imagination of a global community. You may have seen and heard actual play fantasy shows before, but never like this. Join us for Homebrew Havoc. Find its creator, Paul, on Twitter, at d 20 And you should go check out Paul's work editing videos as well. He's one of my patrons, and he's got a ton of really cool stuff he works on. As always, links to all of this great content from all of these creators is available in my episode notes. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. This week, Robert and I are going to use some random D100 tables to create an NPC and a fetch quest, and then roleplay the situation to show off Robert's improv skills. Let's get rolling. So, first one is NPC voices, so kind of how this character will sound. Alright, D100, I got a 22. Uh, okay. Okay. Ends almost every bit of dialogue with that reminds me of the time when and rambles off until stopped. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that reminds me of the time. Gotcha. Uh, next right.
0: is the job of your the job
1: What do they do? Uh, they yes. do 83. A
0: beekeeper. Beekeeper. Awesome. <laughs> Absent-minded awesome. beekeeper. Love it. Uh, okay. Personality trait. Personality trait is a 004. Uh, aimless, devoid of direction and purpose. That ties nicely in with your uh, the way you speak, too. There you go.
1: Aimless, no purpose.
0: One more, and that is what I am to fetch for you. 93. The key to the Archmage's quarters. So these are the pieces I'm giving you, and I'm just going to come up and ask you like, hey, I, I know I'm supposed to ask you for a quest. What is it that I can do for you? And then you've got to make up why Let's I'm do doing this for you, and then like some... Little details about how I go about getting this key. I guess who has it or or where it's stored. Mm-hmm.
1: That kind of thing. That
0: that's just your yours to fill in. Okay. What do you want your name to be?
1: Uh, uh, Re- uh, Red Reggie.
0: Reggie. Okay. Oh, Reggie. Uh, is it is it Reggie? Yes. Oh oh uh, yeah, that's
1: Reggie. Uh, sorry sorry yes. I, I I don't believe I caught your name. What? Oh, uh, uh,
0: I am. Sir Grievous, uh, I have been told that you have a a job that
1: needs performing, and I am the man for that job. Right, 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 Sir Grievous, is that? It is. Right, is that? It actually reminds me of um, a time that I've, I met a fella who did grievous badly iron to another knight. well uh, oh. obviously, his name wasn't grievous, but he was. Right. Uh, he was definitely <laughs> grievous. He was quite a big fella, actually. He uh, he had quite the quite the waist to him. Uh, the knight yes. didn't. I am talking about grievous. The, 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 we, we actually called him grievous. That's why it reminds me of that. You see. Uh, so um, yes, it, I see. Well, was, um, oh, sorry. Of course, I am rambling uh, here. So uh, you've, you've got you are here for the job, are you? Uh, to, to retrieve the key. Was that is that uh, why you've been sent? Yes, it is, and I've heard that you can pay, uh, of course. Of course, of course I can pay. <laughs> that actually reminds me of the time that I went on a job and didn't actually get paid. I, I, oh, I, I, t- I so. took it as, I took it as assumption that I uh, I was going to get a paid job. It was so it was down uh, down near the, the dock, you see, and I, I went down to the dock and I said, "Yes." "I hear you've got jobs going and apparently it was like an intern thing." When I, I'm rambling, uh, again, I'm sorry. I um, see. So, and you didn't get paid. That's quite
0: unfortunate. But no, yes. I didn't uh, get paid. So I've
1: got I've got money for you. So you see, uh, so what happened is, uh, you know, uh, the old arch uh, mm. Arch Archmage uh, Archibald. It's an unfortunate name. Arch Arch Archibald, the Archmage. There's a lot of arches in there. He lives out, out, yes. out by the archways. Have you? Ah, yes, and, indeed. Uh, yeah, well, he came down. He came down to my apiary. you See, have you uh, you know what an apiary is? It's, a, it's where I keep my bees. Yes, yes, I am familiar. Yeah, well. Well, that actually reminds me of the time that I I talked to a yeah. fella that didn't actually know what an apiary oh, was, and he, he thought it was know. somewhere where you get apes. No, <laughs> silly, that's quite silly unfortunate. Bagger. Yes. Yes. Uh, no. It, but sorry, anyway, the, I digress. The archmage.
0: Yes. yes the archmage. Please. He
1: came down to my apiary, you see, and he uh, and he was doing a little uh, tour of the place, and and you see, I've got these wonderful bees over here. You might be able to see them. Those those bright green ones way over there. You might you might actually think that they're like apples or something. They're actually huge. They're they're a lot bigger than they they look. The well, bees. Though yeah those are my bees i've been I've been breeding a whole bunch of bees. you see I've actually got ones that are even bigger than that a little bit more Green dangerous beef. too. <laughs> Green so bees, the archmage was here, looking at he the was, green beans. That's right, that's right. Sorry, I'm digressing again. Uh, oh, my my wife says I'd be I'd be bloody losing my head if I didn't think about I, it. I'm not sure um, she can get a word in, to be honest. Th- no, uh, yes, no. Well, that reminds on. me of the time I was down uh, down at the, the, the library, and I was asking a woman for the books. You see, a uh, yes. book I wanted on uh, beekeeping, and uh, and she said I've got the just the thing for you. And then I she ended up closing the library before I actually got the book because I forgot. I, I kept. Reading so, anyway, sorry, I'm yes. digressing. Indeed. So Arch, Arch Archibald, the Archmage from the Archers, he came down and he was in my admiring my uh, my bees that I've uh, I've, I've been making. You see, and then one mm-hmm. of them, the aggressive one, he came down, swooped the key right off of his his belt and took it down into his hive. You see, uh, so ah. so the problem is the Archmage. He's got my head on a block. You see, and he says if I don't get that key back from my hive, I'm 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 for it. You know. So the thing is. I have lost my beekeeping suit, and I don't want to go in there without it. So if you can go down into my hive, and I'll warn you, it's a big place, bit of a dungeon, if anything. And uh, and you can tackle my giant bees. I'd appreciate if you didn't hurt them. But at the end of their uh, hive, there might be a key that you need to return. If you do that for ah. me, I can give you some gold.
0: Yes, I believe I can complete this task. Uh, I will just uh, head over this direction and uh, I shall go down the beehive, right. shall I? Well,
1: yeah, that's a wonderful yes, thing. Uh, you have a good... Right. That reminds yes. me of the time that you... Uh, just... I'm sure,
0: yes, 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 I'm sure. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you said Archibald, that's exactly <laughs> the name that I had in my head.
1: So that is so funny <laughs> that, that you and I thought of the same
0: <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs>
1: The Weird how the brain goes. I just latch onto any name. If somebody goes name something that begins with FR and you go Frank, there's a the name comes mm-hmm. to mind immediately. Somebody goes mm-hmm. name a thing that begins with JU, Julian. Like, but if you just go name any name, <laughs> you're suddenly going, yeah. Nope, <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah. I got so you just I need some sort of restriction.
0: Yeah. yeah, oh man, that was amazing. Oh,
1: uh, really love your West Country accent there. you, <laughs> oh, thank quite you very the much. Yeah, yeah, that was thank good. Thank you. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, that's that's my default for hobbits in my world or halflings.
0: That was a lot of fun. Uh, okay, uh, next up is kind of transition into your projects and your work and stuff. So you are the dungeon master for Viva la Dirt League's NPC D and So just for the uninitiated, what is Viva la Dirt League, and
1: then uh, tell us a
0: little bit about NPC D D and how it came to be.
1: Sure thing. So uh, Viva La Dirt League is a comedy group in New Zealand made up of um, Rowan Betjeman, Adam King and Alan Morrison. And let's be honest, uh, Ben Van Leer. Um, <laughs> and they make comedy skits about gaming. Uh, particularly, they've got series on PUBG, uh, PUBG Logic, and they've got a comedy skit on sort of a World of Warcrafty kind of um, a world called Epic NPC Man. Uh, yep. They've got a series set in like a, a gaming store um, called BOD, and various others as well as this first person shooter and yada yada. A long while ago, a mutual friend of ours, Mike Glasswell, Spidey NZ, on uh, online, he got in touch with both of us independently and said, Hey, because of your world with Epic NPC Man, that's kind of a high fantasy skit, and yeah. this guy's experience with Dungeons and Dragons, I feel like that kind of could make for some good content on your channel. Uh, yeah. And they agreed. We got together and made some DD content. And we started making content based in the world of the Epic NPC Man skits. So it's it's sort of a, lots of layers of meta, really. They're already, in that world, they're already taking the mick out of high fantasy uh, video games. And now we're, we're playing a Dungeons and Dragons game based in a world that is taking the mick out of video games. So in my uh, D&D game with them, they're all playing video game characters. And not only that, but the NPCs of that video game character. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of meta but the fans seem to enjoy it. <laughs> when we first started doing it, um, the people who were used to their channel just being like three minute comedy skits, not all of them were keen on this new half hour jaunts. Uh, and so they were kind of in two minds about continuing it, but then the people who liked it really liked it and were very vocal about, we wanna see more of this. And so they decided, hey, let's, um, let's just break it off into its own channel, start a completely second channel, um, specifically just for D&D related content. And here we are. Um, a year and a half two years later uh, just passed a quarter of a million subscribers yeah did
0: notice that as i was checking out the channel the other day so it seemed like to me watching the first few episodes some or possibly all of your players hadn't played tabletop role-playing games or at the very least were not familiar (laughs) with the rules of dungeons and dragons so um, how many of them were new and having these new players did you do warm-up sessions or something else to kind of get them used to the idea or was it just roll cameras we'll see what we capture
1: yeah so uh, adam king had played uh dnd before i think he'd played like third edition or something a couple of times back at college or something like like way back in the day he wasn't a, a dnd regular but he would played it a couple of times knew a little bit about it um as for the rest of them none of the other three of them had played at all not even a single session so they knew literally nothing about it so for that first. Game. There was no warm up or anything. There was just uh, we went around to Adam's place. I created sort of a one shot. Uh, and I'd also made them all a unique character sheet that wasn't based in D&D uh, terminology. Yet. Because as I say, I'm trying to shoehorn their epic NPC man characters into a D&D world. Right. I just took things that their characters can do from the series uh, and I just made like a, a D&D-esque character sheet for them. Like Baradun's kind of a sorcerer, kind of a wizard. Uh, right. Greg's kind of just this other thing. And then and then Bodger was like, oh, it made sense that you kind of a, are a fighter. Just give him right. a couple of the fighter ragey things. And we played. Uh, it was just the three of us at the time. And we played through uh, an episode, just like a one shot for a few hours. Had a lot of fun. They put it up on their Patreon and it got good support, but it wasn't quite the video quality that they wanted for their main channel so they said we'll do it again but uh if we get proper funding and then thankfully luckily around the same time wizards of the coast reached out and said do you want to do some sponsored content for us uh to promote the descent into Avernus?" and so they they sponsored eight episodes which turned into nine because of time we got into a green screen we we filmed around the table with green screen background and everything i got we got um brit on board at that point they had played it twice i think because we played it that once for the patreon games when we got brit on board knowing that we wanted it to be good quality and it was sponsored content i ran just a, a non-recorded one shot for brit and the other three guys just to give them a little bit more practice and then we played descent into avernus so, which you can still see on their their main channel of their youtube page so if you mm. want to see the third time that most of them had ever played dnd you can go and check it on that and then after that avernus run as i say we broke off and did another channel and we started a completely new campaign, one that's actually still ongoing to this day. We're up to episode 74 now. And Ben joined us for this, Ben Van Leer. And Ben sitting at the table, that is literally the first time he's ever played. So you can see all of the times that he's ever played are all on camera, which makes for quite a unique experience for him in like what D&D is. He's got such a different and warped experience of what D&D is than most <laughs> people in the world. Yeah. What, you mean that everybody doesn't play around a table with four cameras pointed at you and a team full of people standing off camera and then green screening it all the next day. Right. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a
0: sec too. Uh, So what is it like working with all of these funny and chaotic people at your table? So, you know, you've mentioned they're, they're all kind of comedians. They've been creating content for a lot of years together. Was it a difficult transition to try to like rein in the chaos a little bit or how did you find the best way it was to handle these kinds of games? god if i knew um (laughs) i don't i mean i envy you but also i don't envy you if that makes sense you know it's it just seems like it would be tough um please help somebody uh
1: no it's 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 actually a lot of fun like twice if you're okay yeah (laughs) i i had i have a lot of fun with them and if i was to go back and and talk to myself back then i would say like just don't fight the chaos. Don't try and make this the sort of gameplay style of critical role. Mm-hmm. This is short form content, half hour episodes with four comedians at the table rather than four serious actors or whatever, eight serious actors. So this is a completely different style, different different genre almost of d and d yeah um and don't don't fight it. The chaos is part of it it's it's they've got an established audience. The audience that are coming to see them being wacky and wonderful in their wacky, wonderful characters are going to thrive and love the um, the chaos, essentially the the, the the randomness that occurs from their humor. The biggest thing that I've learned over the years of working with them is just don't fight the chaos, just guide it. Don't try and force against the, the stream that's raging against you. The, the stream is not going to stop. You're not going to put your fists up and just stop, stop the water. Your, your only hope is to just direct the river into <laughs> the direction you want it to go. Yeah. That's great advice. But yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. People, I, I kind of do put on the persona, like I put on a bit of a character of being the the DM that's suffering and whatever. But yeah, the, almost it, the straight man. In actuality, you know, yeah, the straight. Yeah, like yeah, in almost. actuality, I'm 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 always having an absolute blast at the table. They're good, they're really good. fun to play with. The show it often features these
0: cutscenes of the players in costume, kind of role playing what you're describing at the game. So you mentioned it sounds like that gets filmed the day after. Do you help direct that or is it mostly ad-libbed or a little bit of both?
1: Um, I, I do, yeah. That, so that's, yeah. My, that's one of my uh, responsibilities of, uh, on the team. Um, so it's filmed usually like a week later, uh, okay. maybe two weeks later at times. <laughs> one time it was filmed like six months later because of a COVID lockdown. <laughs> so, so, we, so when it came to the green screen, we were all like, what did we do at the table? <laughs> what on earth were we doing? So it's my job to go through after we filmed, I get all of the footage that night. Uh, and for the next couple of days, I go through all the footage uh, that would be filmed the day, usually about six hours of uh, of content. I just make little notes on the footage saying, like, this is a good time for the cutaway. We want to see this acted out at the, uh, and then, yeah, we don't need to see this. This plays well at the table, blah, blah, blah. I go through the whole thing. Then I send it off to the, uh, I send my notes off to the um, props and costume department and say, hey, we're going to need, a giant frog for this next one or <laughs> I, you're going to need to you're going to need to make me up to look like a, a sexy half-orc because she's she's important for the green screen or whatever and they do their best they do an absolutely tremendous job especially if you go back and watch the uh, wild beyond the witch light stuff where they've dressed me up to look like mr light as in, in a jester's costume and everything they handmade the um the jester's scepter and everything it's incredible so they do a hell of a lot of work trying to get it all for like a week later We turn up at the green screen. I'm standing to the side directing things, being like, let's get one of you raging and running off screen. Let's do this and this and this. And then from time to time, I go, okay, work out what you need to do because I need to go get dressed up like a a wizard now or whatever. Yeah. And then once we filmed all of that, it gets sent off to the editor and he chucks it all together. Me and Adam King go through it and uh, give notes to the editor on let's tighten this bit up or let's stay on the green screen for a little bit longer because there's another joke coming up and we think it's holding or whatever. Give those sorts of notes and then it's out (laughs) and everybody gets to see it. And thankfully, um, because of the format that we do, we record a whole trunk and then we get like 10 episodes out of it or so. Uh, And then we can film again another 10 weeks later which does make for an even more unique experience for the guys at the table who haven't experienced other D&D, because that's certainly not how normal D&D goes. No, uh, you play no, for six Easter hours family. every once every uh, 10 weeks. Yeah.
0: All right. So tell us about D&D Logic. How did that come to be? And is there a season two upcoming?
1: Mm, well, um, so D&D Logic, for anyone who doesn't know, is... Uh, sort of as going back to the main channel uh so as i said we kind of broke off from the the main channel to make this D D uh content and then we said actually there's an audience for short form to- content that would actually still be suitable for the main channel related to D. so um <laughs> things that come up at the table just like uh, if you apply real world logic or physics to an in-game game of DD, uh would make for just ridiculous uh, ridiculous um events, which is essentially yeah. exactly what they do with their uh, FPS logic and their PUBG logic and their Dark Souls logic and all these other series that they've done. And so d d logic was just like a no-brainer really. Um, I pitched, well, I, I kind of s- subtly influenced them inception style until eventually one day they said, hey Rob, do you wanna do DD logic? And I was like, yes I do. <laughs> what,
0: what do you know? Yeah, you are and, all of my ideas. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was exactly it. I, I just Im- almost immediately just like pinged them my Excel spreadsheet of all my ideas. For it and i was like yep here we go then uh they said right uh we'll write us some episodes for it then and we'll and we'll see how it goes um so i sat down with adam king he was my um sort of point of contact for the viva guys uh when writing that he and i went through all of my ideas and said this seems like a much later season idea because it relies on people understanding something about the game that just the general populace won't we kept having to keep in mind that like for the first season especially there's going to be a lot of people watching it that don't know the first thing about D&D. So the jokes still have to stand alone even if you don't really understand what a tabletop role-playing game is. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. And knowing that like the video about taking turns is very like a classic RPG video game kind of layout where you've got your people in a line and then the enemies in a line kind of like moving (laughs) back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas D&D might be a little bit different than that, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, we tried to keep it a little bit more uh, relevant to um, people who don't know D&D. Mm-hmm. um and so we went through the list and went these 12 seem like uh first season ideas let's develop those and once i had the 12 we cut them down to 10 and filmed them and, uh, and we had the season um i do have a lot more plans if it ends up going again for another season uh i'm certainly not out of ideas um not for like seven seasons i won't be out of ideas uh and the good thing about it is that because I'm playing D&D so often as a professional dungeon master, I'm playing several times a week with various different people. I'm constantly given new ideas, like something will come up that's hilarious in a game and somebody will point out how ridiculous that is that in D&D something works like this. And I'll go, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Hold on for one second while I pull out my phone and <laughs> add that to yeah. a <laughs> note there. And suddenly I've got another idea for a skit. Um, So, as of this very moment, uh, Season 2 is not yet officially confirmed. We've talked Mm -hmm. a lot about it, and I would be surprised if it doesn't go ahead, but nothing's officially confirmed yet.
0: All right. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that then. Uh, Is there a favorite of the 10 that you started off
1: with? (laughs) I'm really fond of the first one. Um, I think it came out really well as well as the uh, the general sort of writing of it is uh, where they introduce themselves and, yeah. and you meet at a tavern and one player has just got this ridiculous backstory that does not befit a level one character and then he's immediately killed by a rat. <laughs> I, do like, I do like that one. Um, yeah. I was quite fond of turn-based combat as well, but that one got a lot of um, feedback. People saying like, that's not how D&D combat works because it all happens simultaneously. And to that, I always said, well, no, if you actually, like it says, it all happens simultaneously. But if I, if I'm a rogue and I go first in combat and I kill you and then second in combat, the necromancer goes and raises you as a a zombie. And then third in combat, the paladin goes and smites you dead again. How would that all happen simultaneously? Everything that's happening on your turn is happening as a direct result of what happened on my turn. So, no, it does and the happen in combat. And everything, it does happen yeah, in but... turn. Yeah. If everything happens at, at once in combat, then how does moving out of a fireball's range work? Like, if somebody casts a fireball at the end of the turn at a point on the board where nobody's standing, they might have been standing there at the start of the turn, but they're not now. Right. So, right. so it's like, yeah, it, it, that was kind of what I was trying to poke fun at with that particular sketch. Yes. Um, So yeah, Yeah. that one's one of my favorites. The first one. I'm also really fond of the uh, reveal. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The reveal of the 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 reveal of the bad guy at the end, who's like got a whole backstory launched into, and then realizes that the one person that he's kind of pandering to with his backstory is the one person that doesn't pay attention and take notes and has no idea who he is.
0: Yes, as a DM, that one was also <laughs> one of my favorites just because I can relate so much to it. Yeah, um, I'll put some links in the episode notes so everybody can go check those out. But yes, tons of fun. There's even like a, a 30 minute long, I don't know what to call it, compilation. Like a, like a supercut. yeah. The, yeah, exactly. That's what you called it even.
1: I'll tell you what's funny about the um, the reveal episode where the bad guy kind of monologues and realizes that nobody knows what he's talking about. The very same day, literally the same day that we filmed that, I went home collapsed onto a couch and started microwaving some food and then i opened up youtube to try and relax and i opened uh, oh look one for all's got a new video uh the Stalker guys <laughs> and i pulled it up it's basically the same episode with the same joke about the bad guy who does it. and i was like oh well that's great
0: <laughs> at least you know hopefully it was released soon after so they knew you weren't trying to rip them off yeah that's no i'm funny.
1: i'm, I'm friends i'm friends with the one for all guys i've uh, spoken with that's them about good. it and we've all laughed about how it's crazy how there's only so many jokes in the in the world to go around, we're all bound to be ended up making the same ones.
0: What are some of the similarities to you of running games for YouTube content? versus around a table with your friends and family and that kind of thing? And then what are some of the biggest differences in your mind?
1: The similarities are all the fundamental basic stuff. Like it's still the same game that we're playing. It's still the same genre, high fantasy. We've still got the same rules of the game. You're still rolling dice. You're still trying to abide by all of the general rules of being a good DM. All of the differences are all the surface things of like the specifics of the content you're making. As a Dungeon Master for the Viva La Dirt League thing, because I'm not doing four hours a week content like Critical Role, we're doing mm-hmm. half hour chunks, I have to be kind of a lot more aware of moving things forwards, which can be interpreted as railroading quite a lot, which I'll I'll get back into talking about in a little while. <laughs> but I have to be conscious of the fact that if we ever have a bit of the, the game that lulls a bit and nothing particularly happens for half hour. That's an entire episode that people have waited, which is an entire week that they've waited for when nothing's happened. And I have to be kind of conscious of that. It's not too much work on my part because as actors and uh, and comedians and content creators at the table, all of the players are very well aware of that as well. And usually they'll be able to tell when there's a lull and they'll do something stupid or wacky or crazy and something will go off the cuff. So it's just something that I have to be aware of is, is kind of the... Um, keeping the story moving so that there's always something happening and it's always engaging to an audience. The other thing that I have to be conscious of is uh, like triggers and things as well. I have to kind of keep things, not necessarily, we, we haven't got rating on it. It's not like it's a movie, but I have to be conscious of the fact that there might be children watching and there quite often are. And although we're talking about adult stuff sometimes and we don't try and limit ourselves in terms of like, just if something's funny to us, it's funny. We do have to be more aware. Think jokes that you might get away with or inside jokes that are harmless but uh, require context to be understood without being offensive. All that sort of thing. You can't get away with doing that um, on YouTube or on Twitch, but you would be able to obviously at a a round a table with nobody watching.
0: Okay. Uh, One of my patrons submitted a question for you, which is you do a lot of streaming throughout the week, working on various projects, reading books, and even sometimes reading poetry uh, and more. So what is your streaming schedule and how do you decide
1: what to read, or what to work on next? That's a very good question. I do stream quite a lot. Uh, just a, a shameless plug myself uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Robert Hartley GM. Uh, I stream about four times a week, uh, just D&D related content. These times I'll give, are all in New Zealand times, obviously, because that's where I am. So you yes. need to do your own conversions to whatever t- time you're in when you're listening to this. Uh, but on a Monday morning, I will do a behind the screen. This is probably my mo- most popular stream uh, because it's re- directly related to the Viva Dirtly content. The new episodes will come out on a Thursday night. And then I'll give people a few days to have watched it just in case, you know, people don't catch it immediately as it's comes out. And then you tune in on a Monday morning to me uh, and I go through it and I kind of give you a director's commentary, so to speak. And I tell you a little bit about you know, when this guy rolls this thing, it was actually just one under the DC. He could have gotten it if he'd have done this. Or oh, when he when he throws himself off of an airship, there was a very real chance he could die. And this is how it would have played out. And I can give you like behind the scenes knowledge of that sort of stuff. Immediately after that, I do a, I go into a Robert Reed's where I, um, I read through one of the d modules uh, or d books. Uh, I've read through the Monster Manual. I've read through Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I'm part of the way through Tasha's Cauldron of Everything at the moment. Uh, occasionally, um, like for special occasions, before right before Christmas, I read a bunch of Christmas poems and uh, and, and winter, winter-themed poems. Uh, then on Tuesday mornings, I do another Robert Reads uh, so that I can get through this book faster, because there's a lot of D&D books. The rate, that, the rate that I end up reading them on stream, I get through like one book every several months, and, and, and D&D are churning the books out they are every time I close my eyes and open them again. There's another oh, there's a new the Strix Havens come out. I'm like I haven't got I haven't read the one the one about the Greek what is it called the Theros yeah. oh yeah Theros, that was yeah. like two years ago. I've, yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't get through, I can't keep up. So that's kind of why I started Robert Reed's so that I can actually get through them. Yeah, um you have dedicated then, time that's smart <laughs> on a saturday i uh, alternate between doing a short rest stream which is where i have on a guest and chat with them uh, much like this i've had a whole bunch of guests on already uh, i mentioned one for all uh, with the deer stalker guys they come on for a short rest one time i've i've spoken with uh, Satine phoenix uh, mm. uh danilo from thinking critically uh and then the other weeks i do uh, it's alive which is where i Work with somebody from the community to make a mon- make a monster or a stat block or a new spell or a new feat or anything new for the game. I, I, I help them to balance something, and we do a little homebrewery. And then finally, my last stream that I do scheduled is uh, a stream called Twitch Tales, which is an interactive game of D and D, where the chat is actually controlling the player. There is one uh, character, in it's kind of like a solo campaign, and the chat are hive mind controlling uh, that player that character's actions. They uh, most recently yeeted themselves into a, a portal, not knowing where the portal went. <laughs> so That's sometimes fun. the chat can, uh, can surprise me somewhat. That's a lot of fun.
0: That is. Uh, so tell us about your Patreon and kind of how people can support you there. And then I wanted to know part of the perks on your Patreon tiers is a consent in gaming form. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about
1: that. Uh, so I do have a Patreon. It's one of the ways that people can support me and keep me doing this uh, crazy business that I get to call a <laughs> full-time job. And through Patreon, there's a bunch of things that you get access to, which is a lot of the the homebrewed items and spells and monsters that I've come up with over the years, and uh, and things that I come up with during and it's a live stream. They all go onto my Patreon so that people can access them and use that use use my sort of my homebrewed rules. But yeah, as you say, one of the things on there is my. Uh my personal form that I use whenever I'm starting a new game with any any new players, I give out a consenting gaming form and it is essentially rate right from A to d how you feel about the inclusion of these things in the games um sexual violence or alcohol or spiders or eyeballs gore mm-hmm. uh, harm to children there's just every everything's on there, and then there's also space for things that I haven't included and if anybody has triggers or phobias or things that they don't want to see in their games, um they can say i'm okay with all of it, like you can include it in any format I'm cool uh b is i think um I'm okay with it as long as it's sort of alluded to off screen and we don't actually have to play it out uh c I think is I'd rather it not be included. Uh, But if it's happening to somebody else or an NPC, I'm fine with it. And then D is like, don't, don't mention this. We don't, I don't want to include this in any way, um, which people are, you know, people can say whatever rating they fall in any of those topics. And that's one way for me to go, okay, this is, I know my boundaries. I know what sort of stories I can tell with these people. Uh, I know that uh, hags kidnapping and eating children is completely off limits or it's completely fine. Um, I know that if, when I'm describing the kill, I'm not going to shoot them through an eye with an, an arrow. If they've said they've got a phobia of eyeballs and it's just a way of getting on the same page during a session zero saying like what is and isn't o- is and isn't okay with us um if you try and seduce the barmaid or the bard sleeps with the dragon do you want that to just we, we just allude to that and then immediate fate to black or do you guys want the humor of like trying to play that out so to speak it's-
0: you and i haven't been in the hobby for too terribly long but i feel like there is more emphasis now than when i started uh and i mm. think it's uh, definitely moving in the right direction
1: I think it's very important to have that discussion, even if you don't have a form like I do to actually fill out and give to people. It's at right. the very least important to just discuss it with your players openly and say, this is kind of how I like to play my games. This is the sort of content I include. Are you okay with that? Is there anything that you wouldn't like to see? It doesn't hurt to just be nice. It's just to, just to be nice to people and say, I am aware that this is a problem for you, so I'll try and avoid it. There are a million different stories I can tell. I don't need to tell this particular type of story. Yeah,
0: agreed. What are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement to new DMs, to old crusty, jaded DMs, <laughs> to everyone in between? You know what? What do you feel like are the few key points that you would like to pass on to
1: people? My words of encouragement are: get in and do it. If you if you think for a moment that you might enjoy it, either playing or running the game, do it. You do, you don't have to be Matt Mercer. You don't have to be Brendan Lee Mulligan. You don't have to be me. I feel very big headed putting myself on that list, but I know that there are people who do put me on that list. So, yeah. So you don't have to be whoever you think of as a good DM. You don't have to be that person. Uh, We all make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. It's not about not making mistakes. It's about enjoying it. You will learn over time what your party enjoys, uh, what you enjoy, and you will learn how to have fun. It is an incredibly fun game or can be if you find the right people and the right stories to tell. You should definitely give it a go and see if it's for you. Um, As for words of wisdom, my biggest one is make notes immediately after the session. (laughs) Don't leave it until before the next session because then you've got a week, a month, a year of like, God, what did we do last time? Who did they talk to? What was the name of that NPC? What was the quest I was going on? Just make notes immediately after going, hey, I mentioned this to them on the fly because they asked me something that I wasn't prepared for. (laughs) You also won't get the issue of opening up your notepad and going, well I've written sexy goblin i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> to immediately make notes afterwards in a in a way that you'll understand when it comes to actually continuing this session next time and then the other one, which is a slightly larger topic, which I mentioned before and I'll get back to now, is don't be afraid of railroading. This is somewhat of a controversial topic because a lot of people think of railroading as a real bad uh, it's a bad word nasty word you're a bad d m if you railroad. Uh, in fact i just had this conversation uh somewhat with uh someone in the youtube comments about how how i don't think railroading is as bad as people say it is i was actually terrified of railroading it's another one of the mistakes i made in my game is is trying not to railroad so much so that nothing happens in the game the players i've, I've gone no it's a real world it's an it's an open box you can literally do anything you want and it's kind of what we were talking about before with the npc names if you give them nothing There's no way to be creative in that space. You need restraints. Restraints breed creativity. If you give them like, you can play in this sandbox over here. This is a small sandbox here and you can play in it. Then they know what their limits are. They can create something. So the way I've been thinking about my gaming these days is more that there is a sandbox on a train and there are sandboxes at the station. (laughs) And then there are lots of tracks from the station. And then, so I put them on the train and I railroad them. They can play around on the train. They can sandbox. They can have, they can muck around and do these things on on the train. But the train is going in the direction of the story. So that at least something is happening. And I know that a story is happening. And more importantly, from my perspective, I can actually prepare for something. I know where they're going. If I say you can do whatever you want, then I can't prepare anything. I've got to, I've got to like prepare 1% of 100 different things rather than 33% of three different things. And yep. so when they get to whenever they've made a choice, it's all, it all will feel unprepared. So I do railroad my players in a certain way. I put them on a sandbox, on a train, and I railroad them to the next station. Once they arrive at the station or the next town or whatever, once they've finished the current arc, then I just say, here, here's a, a big sandbox you can play in at the station but eventually you're going to have to get on another train and decide which direction to go. There's five trains to choose from. You choose the train, but eventually you're going to get on a train, play in the sandbox on the train on your way to the next station. (laughs) And I think that the fear of railroading was one of the big mistakes I made as an early Dungeon Master, even to a year or two back. And really playing with the Viva La guys, that's what kind of taught me that it's not such a big deal. I'll stand back and wait for like 10 minutes while you guys skim stones, But then I'm going to step in and go, right, let's move along. Come on, everybody back on the bus.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Okay. So um, lastly, what projects are you working on that are coming up um, recently or in the next few months that you would like to plug here?
1: Well, um, one of the cool things uh, that came up is that I got the chance to write a side quest for uh, Satine Phoenix and Jameson Stone's new um, module, Sirens Battle of the Bards, including like a, a new character that I created and things in my, in my likeness. Not because of my own uh, vanity, but because my community sort of voted on it and decided that the, the NPC that I was creating <laughs> for it should be a version of me.
0: So very that's nice. coming out.
1: I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out, but it'll be coming out soon. You should look out for that. Uh, I'm also working with Apotheosis Studios on their next job as well, because after writing Sirens with them, Jameson was really impressed with my work and and offered me continued work with them. So that's really exciting. And the only other thing is that I'm moving out, So uh, I'll be finally able to start creating a lot more YouTube content. At the moment, my YouTube fans have been very patient waiting for special content. Uh, The only things I've been putting on YouTube are kind of like VODs from my Twitch. But now that I'm moving house, I'll have my own place. I'll have, quote unquote, a recording studio in a spare bedroom. So I'll actually be able to put some more content out. And that's kind of my focus of this year. If you would like to see more of my stuff, you can head over to YouTube, Robert Hartley GM.
0: All right. Yeah. And again, I'll make sure to link everything that you mentioned here in the notes so everybody can go check that stuff out too. Thank you, Robert, for indulging me. It's been a lot of fun to chat. I can tell that you're really passionate about the <laughs> stuff that you're working on. And I am really excited to see what uh, you cook up next, both with Viva La Dirt League uh, and with Apotheosis Studios and everything else in between.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Derek. It's been an absolute pleasure being on. And I'll definitely have to have you on uh, for a short rest chat where you get you get to not be the interviewer and just <laughs> relax.
0: It is nice to do that every
1: once in a while. <laughs> All right, man.
0: Thank you for listening to How Not To DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Lex, who created the Caltrop core system made for creating your own simple TTRPG. You know how it is with creators when people like compliment what you made and you're like, yeah, thank you, but you try to be humble and you try to like, sometimes you try to argue with them like, oh, it's not that great. I can't even argue because I wrote the SRD to help people make their first game or give people a boost for whoever wanted to make a game just to make one really easy, lower the barrier of entry pretty much to the floor so that anyone could do it. And it does that. It accomplished that goal in spades. And, you know, I can't argue with people who say how cool it is. To hear more about Caltrop Core and Lex's first successful game jam, make sure to tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your table. Another great way to help boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping me grow. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos Mood music was by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat20s for me.